0: Well, we're continuing in our uh, United series. I, I don't know if you've had the chance as we sing and look and just kind of reflect here. United, joined together in him. That's sort of the overall theme uh, that we are we're in as we work through the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. And uh, we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to start by reading Ephesians chapter two, starting at verse one. And I will invite you to stand back up for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter two. Starting at verse one, if you're looking through your Bible, if you're a little unfamiliar with it, you'll get in the New Testament, Romans and after Romans is first and second Corinthians and Galatians. And then finally, you get to Ephesians. Ephesians, starting at chapter two, reading from the New Living Translation, Paul writes this once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse four. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. In verse 8, a common verse to memorize particularly. Uh, If you've been in Iwana Sunday School, you'll know this verse well. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's take a seat together. Um, I've got a picture here on the screen. Some of you might remember um, this picture, Keanu Reeves, right, playing the role of Neo in the 1999 super blockbuster film The Matrix. Neo, who thought he was just some ordinary, you know, um, uh, guy working in a cube farm, was, was uh, chosen as some ubermensch uh, deemed to have super potential, and in the movie, sure enough, he, he learns to harness his his mind to overcome the physical forces of the world around known as the Matrix. It was basically a Disney movie for college students. Um <laughs> Really, the message that, you know, you have it in you to be something great. I think you can go to that next slide. You know, you have it in you to be something, something great. You can do whatever you set your mind to. You know, you're the ruler of your own destiny. Just reject authority and conventions and norms and rules and just be your own hero. And only Disney, you know, adds a catchy song to reinforce the message for you. But I guess we should probably just let it go. All right. All right. It's pretty good It's contextual humor, um, but all of this is lingering fruit of the Enlightenment, um, the great philosophical movement of the 17th and 18th centuries the enlightenment also called the age of reason sought to throw off the constraints of religion and rule and embrace a rather utopian view of humankind that the humans are essentially good and and uh, you know given the right environment and education and freedom from religion uh, you know we could achieve peace and prosperity at last it was all about the power of human potential and the enlightenment fundamentally sought to reject biblical faith and replace it with human reason. Uh, in fact, a number of those philosophers were religious people. It wasn't that they were rejecting uh, religion per se, but they were rejecting faith and in God and rather faith in the self. But you know what? It failed. It especially was proven to be a failure uh, profoundly in the two world wars of the 20th century. The collapse of colonialism and other great problems of corruption and, and uh, And devastation and it failed for this one basic reason that we we just read about in verses one through three. And that's this. We're worse off than we think. We are worse off than we think. Due to our sin and our, our, you know, human nature, you saw it there in verses one, two and three. You know, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil. You see, when you read scripture, it's really helpful to keep in mind the original uh, audience. So this letter of the written to the Ephesians was written to uh, these Christians who had come out of pagan worship, out of magic, sorcery and witchcraft Um, and paganism and witchcraft almost always include some perverted sexual practices. They had been really sinful people. But without Christ, you and I are, too. Might not look the same. But we are. It's easy to point to others and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But so-and-so is not the standard. God is the standard. God's perfection is the standard, and we all fall short of it. In the natural, we're given to sin. Verse 3 calls it the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Or If you're reading the, the ESV translation, it puts it a little more simply. It says, the desires of the body and the mind. That's what we're given to. That's that's our inclination. The desires of the body and the mind doesn't feel very good. I mean, it's surprising what we'll do, isn't it? When, you know, when pushed up against the wall, when when in a bit of a crisis, we we find that the sin nature wants to rise up. It's just crazy. Maybe you tell, you know, little lies to to cover your tracks or you lose your temper or you, you know, you blow your money or you turn to alcohol or you escape into, you know, erotic novels, something Whatever we turn to in our stress, that's our idol. That's our place of worship. We're sinners by default. We're worse off than we care to admit. Now, in spite of how that feels, we do have some good news. You can see it in verse four. Verse four, chapter two says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. These two little words, but God. But God, there's us. But God. Everything hinges on those two little words. He's rich in mercy, it says. Remember, mercy is, is when you're spared what you really should get, right? And he's loving. Love is, you know, love is is laying down, making a sacrifice for the benefit of another. If you love someone, you make personal sacrifices for their well being, for their benefit. That's what God did for you. Verse five carries on, right? Um, Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God made you alive in Christ, even though sin made you dead. Because you trusted his grace. Grace is is the other side of mercy. Grace receiving what you don't deserve. It's the unearned, unmerited favor of God. You see, sin has the effect of death. It kills you. Elsewhere in Scripture... It's put this way in James chapter one, it goes this way. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It has a bad ending. I think it's Rabbi Zacharias is credited with saying sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to say and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin keeps your life from producing the good fruit that God wants to produce in you. Sin makes you fruitless in your life. But God. Amazing good news. God reached to you and me. We were unable to reach to him. But God reached to you and to me in Christ. Now. Maybe you were raised to believe uh, that God is out to get you. This is the kind of home you grew up, grew up in, that God's just kind of waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. And, you know, he's recording all your misdeeds. So one day he's just going to broadcast them all up in a big screen in front of everybody and just shame you. Um, I remember as a kid reading a, a, a tract, a chick track like that. Terrifying. And, uh, you know, you've been misled. You've been misled if that's what you believe. Um, God's promise written from in Jeremiah and it's repeated in Hebrews goes this way. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. I would like you to read that with me. Ready? I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That's the good news. That's the good news. God is eager to enact his mercy and his love. And then it gets better. See, God doesn't just show mercy and extend forgiveness, then walk away. It's not like those times, you know, you pass a homeless person on the street and you give her a dollar and you carry on. You, you go on your merry way. That's not what God does. He picks you up and he adopts you into his family. He takes you home, makes you one of his own, gives you an inheritance, makes you fully in the will. Verse six goes on to say, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. It's, it's an important image. Of salvation in Romans six, Paul uses that picture of being raised from the dead to life. He uses that as an illustration of baptism. The believer who has not been baptized as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, someone who's believed and then been baptized. If if the believer who's not done that is missing an essential element of Christian basic Christian discipleship. A baptism affirms that you have been raised to new life in Christ by your faith in him. Not on anyone else's behalf, but your faith in him. So you were raised from the dead along with Christ. And then the rest of verse six carries on. And seated with and and seated us. God raised him, raised us and seated us with him. That's Jesus in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. That's that little phrase we've mentioned a couple times already. New Living Translation says united with Christ Jesus. It's literally in Christ in Christ. Put it this way. We are safely seated with God in Christ, safely seated with God in Christ. Think about what it means to be seated with someone, right? Think of how a child loves to sit with a parent or a grandparent, right? they like to snuggle up on the couch. Come on here, sit with me. Does that feel good? You just love it or or you, you like to sit close to your spouse. You know, I always thought Becky and I should get a get a. Big old redneck pickup truck. So she could sit right beside me. You know the with a bench seat. So she could sit beside me while we drive. All right? Because it feels good to be seated close. It, 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 being seated represents security and safety and comfort. And this is part of the mystery of the gospel. As a believer, right now, this moment, present tense, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Yes, you are in two places at the same time. You're here, seated snugly on your nice red chair. right? But you are also seated with God in Christ. I mean, do you have the courage to try a little something with me? Just try to imagine this with me. You don't have to do this, but maybe you just want to close your eyes for a moment right here. And just imagine this, this picture. Christ Jesus, as we've already seen earlier, is seated at the place of authority at the Father's right hand. And now it says that God has taken you by your faith and seated you with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Regardless of the struggles you face, regardless of the success you've had, you are snugly and securely seated in Christ. Secure. Seated. It's an amazing picture. Now, for all the generosity that God is wanting to pour into your life, you need to know it doesn't stop with you, right? We're a pipeline, not a jar. Your life is a... We're going to see it in verses 7 and 8. In fact, let's look at verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for us who are in Christ. Your life is a display... Of God's grace and generosity. Your life is a display of God's grace and generosity. You and I are meant to be an example to others. We're the testimonial. We're the free sample that comes in the mail. Right? I I think we're a bit slow to catch this. that, That the salvation that's for my eternal benefit is really meant to benefit others. So they too can receive the mercy and the love. Of God, we're not meant to keep it to ourselves. We're not meant to create a cozy fellowship where we can all be together all the time. It's just the best. Right. I think we've talked before about the consumerism of our Christianity, about how we all we all love me included. We love comfort and we love familiarity. It's what feels good. And we don't mind change as long as it doesn't re- disrupt my routines and my traditions. But Jesus said, as Dr. Teddy said this morning, Jesus said, go and make disciples Baptizing them and teaching them. That means we're here to welcome those of you who haven't been baptized or discipled yet. Right. Not so you can follow Bethany Church, but you, so you can follow Jesus Christ. In a couple of weeks, as we've already mentioned, we'll hold the roundup. And a bunch of you are going to work very hard on the Saturday and some days preceding that. And it would be much easier not to bother And just carry on as normal. It would be way more convenient. Because it's not convenient or even easy. And there's no financial reward. But an event like that is one little way. We pull down the walls of our church. And we put Jesus on display for the lost. And I think we'll have some fun in the process. And we'll do it again in a few months with the journey to Bethlehem. It's a ton of work. And it's a bunch of money. And it's fun. And it's another way we can say to our neighborhood, look, we want you to find your way into the grace and truth of Jesus. Come and meet him. It's worth our effort for their sake. And as a church and certainly as an, as an individual, my life and your life is a display. We're on display to show God's grace and kindness in the classroom, in the office, right in the workplace, in the grocery store, on Facebook, in the restaurant, wherever it is. You are on display and do you know why? It's because God saved you by his free gift of grace. When you believe you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. If you've received that gift, let me ask you this. Are you living your life on display? To show God's rich kindness. And then there's a couple more verses in this little passage, verses nine and ten. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned long ago for us to do. I'll put it this way. We're saved, not, we're saved for good works, not by good works. We're saved for good works, not by good works. Notice there, the word order here, right? You are God's masterpiece, right? That's a word that can be translated workmanship or artwork or creation to kind of creative work, right? Made new in Christ so that you can do His good works. Your status as, a, as, a, as God's new creation comes first, resulting in the good works He's prepared for you to do. He knows you perfectly, and so He is perfectly selected good things for you to do, not to be saved, but because you are saved. Because you are saved. Sometimes I'm just my heart breaks for occasionally I meet somebody who's who's not a believer and they're trying so hard to do good things and and it doesn't have the purpose that that it does when you're doing it for the Lord. Think of it. Think about this way, preparing good works, you know, as we raised our two sons who are young men now, but. Um, as we raised our kids, Saturday was largely, maybe still is chore day. And we always looked for age appropriate, good deeds for them to do outside chores. Uh, they got paid for outside chores and inside chores were part of life. So, you know, we had to find age appropriate things for them to do. A six year old is not ready to mow the lawn, at least not at our house, but he can rake leaves and a nine year old can mow the lawn, but probably isn't ready to wash the car. And a 12-year-old can watch the car, but I'm not convinced he's ready to put up the Christmas lights, right? So we always try to, to, to have good works prepared in advance for them to grow into, right? I'm sure they loved it all the time, right, guys? <laughs> right? No, we did not have children just to do our chores for us, but it sure helped. Um, that's supposed to be funny. Not, it's not true. Right. We, we always had tried to have good works prepared in advance for them to grow into. Why? Because we love them and because we wanted them to experience the rewards of those deeds, of that work, getting the paycheck and everything else. Good works won't save you. And they won't make God love you anymore, but we will be. The Bible promises rewarded for what we have done in Christ. About 50 of you are, are serving at a one of this here. Fifty. It's a mind-numbing number. I'm just amazed at that, right? Maybe that's a good work that God prepared for you in advance. Others are going to teach in children's church, or join the sod squad, or build Bethlehem, or prepare some meals, or make cookies for a neighbor, or you're going to welcome your daughter's friends to your home, she can hang out there, or you're going to visit a prisoner, or paint a room at the church, or something, whatever it is that God has prepared in advance for you to do, you're going to do that when you do it for the Lord, it has eternal reward. And, and good works aren't just a nice thing to do if you get a chance. God has gone to the trouble of preparing those good works for you to do. And it's up to you to discover what they are and then do them. And you will receive his reward in good time for your effort. You're God's precious, beautiful, one-of-a-kind, unrepeatable, million mega-million-dollar Masterpiece. Have you discovered the good works that he's prepared for you to do? Ephesians 2 has made this shift away from simply talking about our identity in Christ and all the things that we receive in Christ to now beginning to move us for what's ahead for us in Christ. The things that we can do. Paul says, you know, you're worse off than you think. But God, who's rich in mercy and love. He says that you're safely seated. In Christ, you're safely seated with God in Christ, but you're on display for the world to see. And you live out those good works as a way to demonstrate the good things that God has done for you.